Hello and welcome back once again for another episode of Thank Zuck It's Friday. I'm here with, uh, as usual, uh, Tom Allen and John Leonard and my name is Stuart Sumner and this is the IT News Podcast from Computing where we bring you the story behind the story and if you're lucky, even the story behind that. As usual, let's start off with uh, discussing how our weeks have been. Uh, very little has happened to me. Uh, what's, what, what, what's new in your world, John? Um, well, on Monday, it was actually a really beautiful spring day, if you can remember back, you know, before all the gales and the horizontal rain started. It was lovely, yeah. Um, so I took the day off and I went down to my allotment, um, where I spent a very enjoyable couple of hours moving horse shit from one place to another. <laughs> I, I always thought, I always thought you, when you talked about your allotment, I always thought that was a joke. You actually have got an allotment. I have got an allotment, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got some more shit. A way to allotment shame him, Stuart. No, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with it. I just, I just assumed, it, I don't know why, I just, I didn't, I assumed it wasn't true. But since you're saying it on the podcast, it has to be true. I seem, I know that I seem so young and youthful and... Uh, Vigorous. And, you know, I'm, I'm far too hip to have an allotment. But no, I, I do. That, that. But that wasn't my thought process, actually. Um, anyway... Moving swiftly on. So it, it was very nice to be out, out in the open air, um, appreciating the natural world, and I felt very refreshed. So I must take more, more days off. Is the, uh... No, I, I don't agree with that, actually. Um, I, I, I view days off very much, as you know, very much as stealing from the company. So I'd, I'd, <laughs> like, to, I'd like to stop that um, as much as possible. Um, I, we had a, a similar thing this week. I haven't got an allotment, but I've got a, um, a, a front garden. And um, my wife went down to the garden centre and got some, uh, some, some manure. Similarly to you, actually, got some manure to sort of spread over the garden to um, make it all nice for spring. And it, it's turned out, we can only imagine, we think, well, she now thinks it's actually pig shit that she bought. Um, I think it might be dog because we can't go near our front garden anymore. So simply on Monday, we were both been out there with our cups of coffee for a little mid-morning break. And within about two minutes, like, nope, can't stay out here. It's sufficiently bad. You just can't be near it. It's, you know, like, you know, horse manure, even a bit of cow. It's, it's quite an honest smell. And you, you can smell of the country, you can get used to it. This is one of those cloying sort of meaty smells. <laughs> it's just, you can't be near. So this is a very salubrious start you. to this podcast, isn't it? Um, How well do you get on with your neighbours? Uh, we used to before that incident. Um, pretty well. No, luckily, our, um, our neighbours are Scottish and they've fled to Scotland um, for lockdown. So, uh, oh, right, okay. So, I'm glad you you concluded that with and they fled to Scotland. Not our neighbours are Scottish, so they just don't care. No, that's not. They what don't that's, notice. That's not what I was saying at all. When they're Scottish and they're not there. Um, yes, I think probably moving swiftly on. Uh, Tom, anything new with you? Um, uh, nothing particularly noteworthy because we're in lockdown. Although um, in Deference to the fact the lockdown is soon ending, I've started exercise again, uh, which is nice and good for your mental health. So that is um, good. that's good. Although good I'm idea. still do I'm doing it. I'm sort of confined to doing it either in the conservatory, which is cold, or in the spare room, which is like a box. Um, so I don't have a lot of choice about where to exercise. Uh, or I'm just waiting for the weather to get nice and uh, be able to do it outside now. I'm a bit concerned that you've said now that lockdown's about to end, you've totally jinxed it, and we're about to go into a sort of third, fourth, or fifth wave, whatever. It's entirely on. possible. Yeah, so uh, definitely, definitely don't yeah. say that. Oh, and but I also got sent uh, some rather nice tea and biscuits uh, by a friendly PR agency, lovely, uh, which I really appreciated, and it That's made good. me it, it made me smile. Also good for your mental health. Uh, yes. Receiving nice tea and biscuits. Speaking of which, I also I did my first ever yoga session. Uh, my wife uh, is a physio and uh, teaches yoga sometimes, so I did, did my first ever physio session, um, yoga session with her this week, which was also I recommend it. Having only done one in my life, it was, it was, it was still pretty good. Uh, oh yes, yeah. I did. Um, I did yoga on the same day actually as you, didn't I? We talked about that uh, right, because yeah. Incisive uh, Computing's parent company ran a yoga session. 
and was it good? I, uh, I didn't do the incisive uh, one. I just, yeah, I just it was it, it was okay. Uh, although again, I had to do it in my little box room, and um, or the little box room I have my computer in, so I didn't really have room to do all the stretching out. Uh, but it was yeah, it was good. It was uh, it was relaxing. Yeah, I found it more yeah, it's more relaxing and uh, yeah, more um, interesting than I thought it would be. So yeah, yeah. I'll, uh... I did I did attempt to pick some yoga up uh, in the first lockdown when I was on furlough last uh, what was that April May About a May year June ago. oh yeah, yeah May okay. and June um, and you can do it outside in the sunny weather and that was lovely. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, not that so nice in, the, nice in the howling rain that we've we've been having for the last week, but not especially uh... no. But uh, with spring on the way, that should be a good, op- good option. Okay, I think we should probably uh, move o- away from yoga and towards uh, tech news. So, you know, this is a British podcast because we the first thing we talked about was the weather. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it's, it's, we're struggling to get away from it as well. So it's definitely a British <laughs> podcast. Uh, John, move us away from the weather as quick as you can. Okay, uh, European law, how's that? Uh, not good, but let's go with it. Okay. So do you remember the panic a couple of years ago when GDPR first came out and businesses were in fear? Of being fined from accidentally emailing people without their consent, you know, and there's a lot of worry about. Well, it turns out that they needn't have worried, um, according to Johnny Ryan, who's a very outspoken member of the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. And I attended a, a roundtable he was at this week, um, and he says basically no one's interested in enforcing the GDPR, um, and therefore it's failed to protect personal data. And furthermore, um, he actually used to work for the Irish Times, and he says that this failure is actually sort of killing the media and the social institutions that obviously rely on the media. Um, so he's having a re- really good old go. And his contention is that the GDPR is really good legislation. Um, a lot of thought's gone into it, but he described it as nothing more than a beautiful dream because no one's interested in prosecuting it. Um, so he said that the commission is not serious about it. The member states aren't serious about it because no one enforces it. And even activists like him aren't serious about it because they're not taking enough cases. Um, and he was particularly talking about the ad tech industry, which he says is effectively killing quality media and um, rewarding clickbait sites. I think that the authorities such as the ICO have shown no real interest in enforcing the law. Um, in fact, they were going to prosecute um, ad tech or investigate ad tech rather, and then dropped it. They've recently reopened that investigation. Um, so that was, his, that was his opening salvo, if you like, um, against the regulators. Yeah, I, I always thought, um, I always imagined that, uh, and in fact, they even said this in the run-up to GD, GDPR being being uh, um, coming into uh, coming into force. Uh, there was a lot of talk about you know companies needing more time to get themselves ready for it, and the ICO saying, "Well, we're not going to come down with the full force of the law, you know, immediately. We're, you know, we'll, we'll have a lighter touch, and if we can see that you're progressing in the right direction, then uh, and then we'll you know more likely to be lenient." Um, which sounded sensible. Um, so, is this not an extension of that? Of you know, because uh, of, of you know, of um, regulators not wanting to really come down um, strongly in the opening years of GDPR. Um, I mean, that, that's that's one thought. Yeah. The second thought um, is there have been you know some cases have been brought brought to court. There's you know just from the top of my head, Facebook, uh, British Airways, Marriott. There's, there's been a few cases Google. that have come that come to court. Yeah, um, Facebook was actually brought by Max uh, Schrems. Um, actually in the face of opposition from the Irish regulator in, in that case. And that's still all, I mean, that hasn't, still hasn't been resolved going backwards and forwards. Also, it's, um, it's two years since the introduction. And yes, you, you're right. I mean, to be fair, the ICO never said we're, we're the enforcers. In fact, they went out of their way to say, we're not the enforcers. We're here to advise you on how to um, get your house in order. 
Um, because mostly data protection is very good business sense anyway. You know, you don't want to hold more data than you need. You want your data to all be, be up to date. You don't want to be um, alienating your customers. You know, so it all it all does make make good sense. Um, but again, um, Dr. Ryan said that um, <clears throat> you know he, he he actually made the point that the actual regulators themselves have brought very few cases. And in the case of BA and Marriott, the the actual fines have been dropped by about have been reduced by about sort of 85, 90% in both of those cases, um, citing the pandemic, obviously. But um, um, the way that it looks, I think, to the outside world is that the people are, you know, the regulators really aren't interested in um, pursuing companies because it's just too much like hard work and they don't want to, I mean, obviously an organization like the EU is very, very complex with lots of different competing interests. Um, and, Obviously, uh, Johnny Ryan's view was opposed by um, by the authorities in the shape of uh, Massimo Atisori, who is a member of the European Data Protection Supervisor, and he acknowledged that there are problems with uh, with GDPR because those surveillance-based business practices were already entrenched in 2018 when GDPR came out, and they've proven very difficult to shift. But he did say that there are moves afoot to combine GDPR with other incoming legislation like the uh, Digital Market uh, DMA. I can't remember actually what it's called, but there's there's various other legislation coming in which he says is going to you know, make a kind of a broader framework. Um, and also they're in discussion with the OECD and the US. Um, and the piece has opened up some uh, some debate in, on Twitter with one person, the lawyer, saying, "I've been keeping quiet at work about the increase in the obvious ineffectiveness of the regulator." for fear it will undermine all the sterling work done to improve our data handling over the last few years. <clears throat> but So we, we've talked about the GDPR a lot, of course. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people will be asking, um, what does this mean for the UK? Because, of course, we've left the European Union. The GDPR applies to European the citizens of the European Union. So, of course, people here have to protect their data. But uh, in, in terms of going forward, what, what does it mean for, for UK companies? Yeah, of course, the GDPR doesn't apply directly now, or at least it won't after June, you know, when this sort of interim period um, runs out. <clears throat> but our laws are still highly aligned. However, Oliver Dowden, who's the Digital Secretary, said this week that Britain is going to take a slightly less European approach to data privacy laws, um, which is slightly ominous. And this comes at a time when there's an ad out for the new information commissioner which the Open Rights Group has said looks like a vacancy for a corporate lobbyist. Um, and the nightmare scenario for those who care about data privacy is that our laws will be watered down in order to do deals with places like the US, China and India, which have much weaker data protection and privacy regimes. Um, ironically, though, at the same time, GDPR is seen as a gold standard around the world and states like California are adopting it as the basis of their own privacy laws. Yeah, it's um, a worrying move. Um, Dowden's comment about slightly less European approach really just strikes me as pandering to a base, as it were, yeah, I mean, trying to move away from any association with Europe, even though the law is a good one. It's hard to know how much is just, you know, bluster, really, you know, as you say, trying to sort of um, appeal to the base. Um, because um, we still do a lot of business in Europe, obviously. <clears throat> and while the EU appear so far, um, I haven't seen any more news on this, we covered this a couple of weeks ago, to have granted um, 
adequacy, data adequacy to the UK, that will be um, reviewed over time. You know, so if we diverge too far away from the, the GDPR, then there's a possibility that we will then become a third country as all that implies. Um, so I, I think you're right, though. I, I think a lot of it might just be noise. Um, and we'll have to wait and see how it pans out, I guess. Yeah, and we'll uh, obviously keep this, we'll keep our eyes um, glued to this on computing. So um, stay tuned there for more updates. Um, I think that's probably enough on, on European law. Fascinating though it is. And thanks for that, John. Um, let's move on. Tom, what have you got for us? Uh, interestingly, I'm also talking about security uh, and data privacy because I'm talking about a data breach at a surveillance firm called Vicada. Uh, You're going with Vicada, not Vicada. I'm going with Vicada like avocado. Uh, not vacada like tomato. It's okay. <laughs> none, of, none of those words were right. <laughs> I'm going with vacada like launch mechanism. Um, okay, we'll, we'll 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 go with that. Okay. Uh, so vacada, um, as you might expect, it's, it's a surveillance firm. It's exposed a lot of information. Uh, the hackers were able to view live feeds from more than 150,000 surveillance cameras worldwide, uh, which were installed all over the place, bars, pubs, museums, jails, hospitals, churches, Tesla's warehouses in uh, China, even Vicada's own offices. That's so, pretty, pretty terrifying because we're, we're often you know, heard about um, hackers being able to access people, people's cameras. There's lots of um, lots of organizations now install those little um, uh, sort of uh, little flaps that you can um, you can put over your webcam um, just to make sure that never happens. Um, pretty terrifying thought. Do, do we know what they what they managed to access? Uh, yeah, well, obviously, they were able to view all the live video feeds. Um, they were also able to see a full video archive from all of Vicada's customers and Vicada's balance sheet. So it's profit, loss, uh, it's assets, it's liabilities. What's really interesting about the hack is that it didn't involve any actual hacking. So uh, the attackers weren't breaching firewalls and dodging security. They just, it was very, very low tech. They just used the credentials of an admin account they found online, which is pretty concerning for Vicada's customers, I imagine. So yeah, do we know anything about who actually um, uh, hacked in or didn't hack in, as you say? Yeah, uh, actually, we know quite a lot about them because they claim responsibility and have been giving interviews about it. Uh, it's a hacktivist group, so uh, hacker activists, um, pretty left-leaning group. They are called Advanced Persistent Threat 69420 Arson Cats. Catchy. Yep, roll rolls of tongue. Uh, so they've claimed responsibility. Uh, one of their members, uh, a woman, a Swiss woman called Tilly Kotman, uh, has given interviews to it, uh, to uh, Bloomberg, Ars Technica, a few other media outlets about the assault. She also tweeted about it before Twitter deleted her account, uh, talked about ending surveillance capitalism. So they are very much on the side of individual liberty and privacy. Um, in response, of course, Vicada's disabled all internal admin accounts and is investigating the issue. Did the hackers, do we know if the hackers published all the data that they captured, including all the video feeds and the, uh, um, all the video logs? and They um, shared some of the data, uh, but it's not like um, the hacks of Parler and Gab that we've seen recently where the hackers actually published everything and shared it with authorities. Uh, it's not like that. They haven't made a repository as far as we're aware, uh, but they did, they did share some still images and a few videos with media outlets. Okay. But it, would it just seems see that they mostly, apart from the actual act of hacking, 
they largely respected people's privacy. By That's not what I was say, if, if it's all about surveillance and, and, and privacy, releasing all that footage to the web would not be would be a bit ironic. But uh, okay, perhaps they didn't do that. Yeah, no, they haven't been hypocritical in it. Yeah, yeah. It, well, I mean, I, I think it, what's obvious there is, is well, you know, I think we're calling them um, the the Carda. I can't remember what we said. Um, however, however, we're pronouncing them. Um, that's pretty poor to have one. You know, to have no sort of no concept of privileged access or no layering of security, but having just one account being able to access everything. Obviously, that's um, kind of security one hundred and one. Well, Don't all the that. all the reports did say it was a high level admin account. Um, so potentially, it did have some. Extra, uh, extra abilities to to get around the internal network, but you know it, it, it wasn't. Easy. But it shouldn't have been that easy. Exactly, there shouldn't have been these credentials lying around. And if they are going to lie around, why haven't you adopted something like two-factor authentication? Yeah, and, and the, you know the concept of zero trust means you know should should have been applied here as well, and that um, means you know one account isn't going to be able to access everything quite mm -hmm. that simply. So yeah, there, there's lots of lots of simple, uh, relatively simple ways they could have um, protected themselves better there. Um, I'm going to move on now to uh, to my story, um, which is, I mean, it's also uh, it's also about security. So we do, this, is, this is very much the security week, um, and this is the story uh, that was uh, just out yesterday, I think, um, about around um, there's that there's found that there's uh, around ten or possibly more hacking groups currently ex um, exploiting um, uh, flaws in Microsoft Exchange, which I know is used by a, a lot of people out there, a lot of our audience. So uh, patch up um, your uh, your Exchange um, servers as soon as you can. Um, so security firm um, ESET um, said this week they had evidence suggesting that uh, going through more of these uh, delightful um, hacking group names, uh, Winty Group, Lucky Mouse, Tick and Calypso are among the cyber groups using uh, various, um, well, there's actually, there's actually four Microsoft Exchange vulnerabilities found recently. They're using them to breach email servers um, worldwide. So uh, they're also advising, it's, they're saying it's beyond time to patch all Exchange servers as soon as possible. Um, and that patch was released recently. Uh, in fact, last week, Microsoft released out-of-band security updates, not its regular patch Tuesday, but um, uh, a sort of a more urgent patch uh, to address those four vulnerabilities um, that are being actively exploited in Microsoft Exchange. Uh, and, and, and how does this exploit work? Yeah, so it's... Um, it's a remote code execution um, vulnerability, so hackers can uh, access email accounts, install additional malware, um, and that obviously enables them to get longer-term access to compromised um, networks. Um, I think so. So what uh, what they've said is, uh, quoting here, the initial attack requires the ability to make an untrusted connection to Exchange Server Port 443. Um, and these, uh, Microsoft, uh, not ESET, but Microsoft initially attributed the attacks um, to a, what they termed a highly sophisticated China-based state-sponsored threat actor, which they called Hafnium. I was about to say, was this the, is, is this related to the Hafnium attack that we reported on? Yeah, um, it is, but it, but what, so that's what Microsoft said, but it's, um, it's not just them. In fact, Brian Krebs um, himself um, uh, earlier this week said that, uh, that um, there's been around 30,000 organizations uh, just in the US compromised through those vulnerabilities um, and then he said weighed in to say yeah there's you know and, and listed all those other hacking groups that have been involved um, so there's I mean there's lots of organizations um, that have been compromised here um, uh, not just in the do US. We, do we Go know on. how many? Uh, 
Um, so, yeah, so, so Krebs said around um, 30,000, um, but um, ESED said they found uh, more than 5,000 compromised servers in about 115 countries. So it's really, really widespread. Um, and then on Wednesday, the Federal Office for Information Security in Germany said that around 60,000 computer systems in the country have been exposed to Microsoft Exchange vulnerabilities. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really widespread, um, absolutely huge. And uh, if you haven't done so already, Get your Microsoft Exchange servers patched because this is uh, this is a bad one, and as you can see, lots and lots of different hacking groups out there actively exploiting it. So, um, pretty worrying for lots of organisations. Probably worth saying that um, if you're on um, online exchange, if you're on O365, uh, Microsoft 365 is known now, um, you're not affected. So it's only companies that have their own Exchange servers uh, to look after. Yeah, that's true. Which is still an awful lot of companies, but you're right. Yeah, people on O365 are less. Uh, less concerned. Fantastic. Well, I, th I think that probably about wraps us up um, for this week. Very much a security-themed uh, podcast this week. Uh, we'll be back, of course, next week for more. So thanks, John and Tom, for your insights as ever, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you.